Welcome to episode number 99 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Emma Tillett grew up in upstate New York and attended university at Albany where she earned her BSB in Human Biology and Anthropology. Emma's personal health journey began from a young age with eczema, allergies, asthma and chronic infections. As the diagnoses and medications continued to increase, she realized that she would need to take her health into her own hands. She became a certified health and life coach, a yoga teacher, Reiki practitioner and a certified functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner through the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Emma deeply enjoys asking thought-provoking questions and listening to others who typically feel like their voices are not heard by our Western healthcare practitioners. What are some of the potential root causes of skin issues? What do dermatologists have to offer? How does skin inflammation impact sleep? And how does poor sleep aggravate skin conditions? This vicious cycle of not sleeping well and the skin's inability to heal are what we dive into deeply in this episode. If you missed the meditation of a floating island on 98, it's specially curated by Himalayan Yogi. We are birthed from water and water always connects us to surrender and release. This profound meditation brings together the trifecta of letting go through the visualization of floating, the sound of water flowing and the harmony of soothing music. Together, they create the energy that can move you towards lightening your load and embracing trust. For now, take a listen to episode number 99 with Emma Tillett. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, Author and Yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer Podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Emma, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. It's a pleasure to always have conversations with friends and colleagues. And this is a topic also that is very dear to my heart. I haven't actually spoken about this before, but I personally have suffered from decades of skin conditions and uh, including articaria, eczema, psoriasis, acne, you name it, I've been through it, where my skin was in such severe state of flare that it deeply impacts your confidence. I mean, it's really, I don't think anybody ever told me back then as a child or even growing through college life that, it pointed towards something which is your skin is really a barometer of what's going on in your body. And today I truly feel, feel that it's not aesthetics alone because even today, Emma, I see a lot of friends who have young daughters who are just starting to develop skin issues and they kind of scoff the kids that it's just something you're going through because of the age and don't make a big deal about it. And I'm always scolding my friends saying, please don't do that because this is who your daughter is going to become. 
so please support her in helping her through these skin conditions. So today we are talking about skin conditions and sleep. And people might actually wonder what does sleep have to do with it? Yes, maybe they know that sleep does help skin to recover, but there's so many intersections between skin and sleep. Uh, but maybe you could just get started telling us about your own personal journey because I know just like me, Emma, that you've also struggled with these issues. So please share uh, a little bit about your own journey. Yeah, sounds good. I'm very happy to be here. And I've got major chills when you were going through your own journey um, a little bit because I it's been the joke of the family that I popped out of the womb with eczema. I've always, people called me grandma hands when I was little. And yeah, it was, it was part of my identity being sort of, is this girl contagious? What's wrong with her hands? And it's not only sleep, but yeah, very impacting to your emotional, your physical, who you're going to be. And to this day, I'm, I'm 27 years old, I'm still very young, but I, it's sticked, stuck with me my whole life. Some of my earliest childhood memories are of me, my grandfather, which is a beautiful man, but me begging him to scratch me because I was just like, couldn't Ooh. even handle myself. And, and then my brother seeing that and telling people at school and then that kind of spreading, you know? So just like, it just really consumed me, but I couldn't do anything about it. And just like, even whether it's, acne on your face that maybe maybe you get bullied for whatever it doesn't matter but it is impacting you and it's being great especially as a young child and it's really interesting I was looking at some of the paperwork because in functional medicine we go all the way back you know to the beginning to kind of see the timeline and the events and so I was going through my doctor's notes and um, I was complaining to my doctor as a, as a young, young child that when lotions were being put on me that they were stinging. And in the notes from the doctor, it said that we think this is just like a cry for attention because when I distracted her, she didn't complain of stinging of the lotion. So even not only was I struggling with it, but the people around me, I was feeling pressure from the people around me and the doctors that I was working with weren't believing me. And I, I understand that kids sometimes be exaggerate or don't know how to express themselves in the proper way, but um, to be written off as a kid and then still be trying to figure my way through everything 27 years later, it's, it's, um, it's really sad. So yeah, I think it is a, a topic that does not get enough attention and is not talked about enough and especially as children, but even as adults, it's not a safe topic. Um, I think it's even maybe talked about less than IBS or some autoimmune conditions now. And it's kind of something that people suffer with in silence. People wear long sleeves or long pants or try to put makeup on and, and hide. But really, we need to be listening to ourselves, like you said, because this isn't like, this isn't just how we were born. This is a sign that something is going on and something is bigger. So I think the more that people really are aware of that and know to work with it in that way as like a telltale of something instead of this is just how you are uh, and you need to mask it or try to get rid of it. Uh, the more we point towards that, the better it'll be for everyone. So, um, and then you asked me about my story. So to just kind of button that up, I am still struggling with it a little bit and as far as sleep, that's why I was really interested to talk to you about it because I, I still have problems with sleep. And I think sleep is really important. And I guess we can get both, both sides, maybe um, how you can help your skin with your sleep. But then also going to bed every night is sort of a, it becomes scary because you never know. I mean, for me personally, it's, am I going to rip my whole skin off in the middle of the night and then wake up and be bleeding and there, my, there's blood all over my sheets? Or maybe for someone with bad acne, it's like, I can't really even move comfortably on my pillow or what am I going to look like when I wake up? And that anxiety of even looking in the mirror in the morning. And I, 
I know so many people, so many people, I have clients, I have friends, I have family that are going through this struggling, but don't feel comfortable really speaking about it. Um, because I, I don't know why, because it's just something that's hidden. We're, we're taught to hide it, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I no, you're so right, Emma. And I think it also has to do with the deep sense of insecurity that all these conditions bring with it. And you are so right about waking up in the morning because at that age, my fear would be what's the new breakout I'm going to have when I wake up. And then, you know, there were times it was so severe that I'd actually make excuses that I was sick, so I didn't have to go to school and have people make comments about my skin it was that severe for me and the articaria would flare up to the point where I had these huge red patches all over my body which was swollen and oozing with this I mean it was burning there was such severe inflammation and the typical course is steroids so when you're given corticosteroids to suppress your skin after a few hours you find that the flare is even more than it was before so you're only the solution is to keep giving your body corticosteroids every few hours until you're just trying to maintain that symptom-free approach where deep down, we go, I mean, we really don't know what's going on in there. And you described it so beautifully in terms of sleep itself. But even during the day, people can be itchy, feeling, uh, I mean, bad acne itself can leave you feeling a sensation of pain and burning on your face, a sensitivity to go outside, whether uh, it's excess cold, or excess heat, both of which can be huge triggers to increase uh, aggravation of the skin. And of course, the inability to fall asleep itself if you're in such pain. So maybe we could talk about first what are, I mean, there's obviously this is going to be different for everybody, but I'd love for us to get started by just looking into all the possible root causes, because even today, Emma, the most well-known dermatologists, their course of treatment for all these conditions is uh, low-dose antibiotics, topical corticosteroids, uh, putting women on birth control pills. So... I don't think we've created the ripple of change that we truly need to. No, definitely not. And before I jump into the root causes, I, I was given antibiotics from less than six months on and I was having intense, intense reactions to them, was putting corticosteroids on it. You're basically told to just slather your baby in aquaphor, which is just suffocating your skin. So yeah, we are not at where we need to be with um, medicine, that's for sure. But to jump into that from the antibiotics, one of the root causes is dysbiosis. So just uh, good bacteria and bad bacteria in your body and the bad bacteria outgrows the good bacteria because something happens to the good bacteria. It could be a variety of things that can happen from stress, as we know, bad sleep, poor diet. But as a baby, a lot of the times it is antibiotics. Um, and that was a problem for me as well. Um, C-section births, not being breastfed. And I know that's not an option for everyone, but I was also looking back at my paperwork from when I was a kid and my mom was trying to breastfeed me and they said, no, since she has eczema, switch her to soy bottle feed. And now a days, I think people know that that's maybe not the best course mm. of action, but mm. 27 years ago, that's what they were telling the mothers to do. Okay. Maybe the baby doesn't like your breast milk, start feeding it soy bottle. So that was back then. I think we've developed a little bit since then, but um, the other root causes can be um, just a sluggish liver, uh, stress, um, candida. And I think these things are really all caused by sort of one and the same, like things that happen to us in our lives, whether it be antibiotics, stress, sleep. Um, I mean, allergies that develop early as a kid and aren't tended to food sensitivities. I found out 20 years later that eggs are detrimental to my health. And 
I didn't know that back then. If maybe we had gone through some sort of trials of eating things and not eating things, then we would have figured that out earlier. But there were no recommendations on eliminating any inflammatory foods. Um, there were no probiotics given when I was given antibiotics. I remember these little antibiotics I was given as a kid, you would get a stuffed animal dog at the end. And it was like, mm. it was fun for me as a child to get yeah. antibiotics. And I remember that so specifically. And it, wow. was, it was a game. And I thought, oh, cool, I, I get antibiotics again. I get this little toy dog. So something that was so detrimental to my health now, and I am consistently trying to build up my microbiome to this day, I've just it was just normal as a kid for me. So, um, and, and Emma, I, I think I should ask you also because you mentioned dysbiosis, and there's so many women who I mean, I'm not saying women, so many people who are on antidepressants, antihistamines. I know people who've been on antihistamines for a one decade. Uh, so these are also so um, disruptive to the microbiome. And then usually the reaction is that doctors, dermatologists, they don't really tell people that there is long-term consequences because usually when I get clients like that, they're always trying to convince me that it's a low dose and it doesn't have any side effect. And then it's simply impossible to get through to them because they've been told this so many times and they've been on this drug for well over a decade, so much to the fact that they have trauma and anxiety to even think about letting it go, if that makes any sense. Yes, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And it's also not only these drugs, they cause dysbiosis, definitely, but they also cause strain to your liver. So two things that are supporting your skin are then just being stunted by these medications that are supposed to be helping them. So I do have people coming to me saying, if, if I don't take my antihistamine, I, I can't sleep because it, it does help short term, but then long term, you are doing more damage. So it's kind of fighting this battle between managing it in the present and helping these people to get off of this thing that's been ingrained in them for so long, this, this system. Um, and me as well, and I see it all around these days, women getting on birth control, 15 years old, maybe even younger and saying, okay, this will help regulate out your hormones and everything. But really, you're just causing a system that should be working to be more stunted by replacing it with hormones when we should be supporting the system. So you know it all too well. Um, but to get back to the microbiome, I mean, it's, it's really sad to me that doctors aren't telling patients that this could be happening. And I think if that is the treatment that they need to say for their profession, you know, that, that's fine. I, I understand that that's what they're taught in medical school. And I think that needs to be a whole different conversation to sort of loop everyone in together and make medical school or just doctors and our, our sort of practices more cohesive. But um, I think it's really important to at least say, if you're going to take this medication, we need to figure something out for the long term because this can't be taken long term. And if you're going to do it in the short term, giving them ways to support it. I mean, we have so many supplements these days and it's it's not the best thing to take supplements i'm all about supporting through whole foods and a great lifestyle and everything but if you need to take a course of antibiotics short term say you're having an infection there there are some staph infections in the skin that just really sometimes they just need to be calmed down <laughs> and there's not really as much you can you can do things naturally, but it's so painful to the person that they do need to take a short course of antibiotics, but then offer them a probiotic as well and tell them how important it is to support that part of their gut. Um, because the long-term side effects are going to be even worse. So yeah, it's that whole cycle of trying to take this corticosteroid or take the antibiotic. And then after it ends up being worse. And I don't know if you've heard anything about um, topical steroid withdrawal, but it's, it's a big topic now in the eczema community because these doctors are prescribing steroids and people are actually, when they're 
trying to go off the steroids, not having just signs of eczema or, or the other skin issues they were experiencing, but they're experiencing withdrawal from the steroids. And it's actually a really painful and long process. It takes people years. Sometimes I've seen six plus years to really get through this. And there is sort of a progression you can see, but it's, I have personally gone to a couple doctors um, to try to talk to them about it and just see their perspective on it. You know, I think that I, um, for the past five years of my life, I worked in a pharmaceutical company. So I really understand that side of things. And I also really understand the functional medicine world because that is what I love and what I truly believe is the long-term solution. But the doctors, they kind of gave me an answer. Oh, your skin regenerates every two months. That's impossible that a steroid could impact you for that many years. Hmm. So I think we need to all get on the sort of same page, but every doctor I've talked to has been resistant to it. So I, it's just really hard because it's, it is. And I think, you'll disconnected. <laughs> I think you'll probably also find this from dermatologists because sometimes I think they truly, they haven't tried any other approach. So they're just not familiar. And when you spoke about withdrawal, I'm, I'm going to also say that I think there's uh, withdrawal associated even with antihistamines where the rebound symptoms are so severe that you probably need something to just, and the weaning off is so critical because it has to be done in such a gentle way without putting undue physiological or psychological stress on the person themselves. Yes, definitely. And there was times when I was taking multiple antihistamines a day just to try to <laughs> get through the day. But really, mm. that's, that's not what we should yeah. do. We're suppressing a whole system that's telling us something. And I mean, we know inflammation is red, itchy, swollen, that's, that's inflammation. So where is this inflammation coming from? And why are we only treating it topically? Why, why are we not looking further inside? So I love the work that you do and the work that I do and other practitioners we know because we are really trying to get to the inside of everything um, instead and, of just uh, focusing I on would... surface level. And I would love, Emma, before we actually going to looking at ways to improve this, if you've got any sort of skin condition, beyond some of those root causes that you described, do you, could you just walk us through um, everything else that can actually trigger skin inflammation, whether it's um, acute or chronic, maybe you could just walk us through um, whatever, be it emotional what factors, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's so many things. Um, <laughs> I feel like I have a whole book full of things because I, I do for a while, I tried to take a diary. So um, stress, stress is huge, but even just someone can say something to you that you don't know is stressful and you can just start itching or start getting flared up. Um, temperatures, like you said before, I think if people think that taking hot showers are good they feel great but when you get out your skin is just absolutely blown up um, I know water can bother people but especially hot water seems to aggravate skin conditions sun is a difficult one because I know that sun um, it dries out the skin so sometimes it can help and I, I know this probably sounds crazy but um, tanning beds can help some people but being out in the sun for hours and kind of with your own sweat. So your own sweat can bother you. Um, a lot of allergens, dust kills people with eczema, mold, exposure to mold. You can have mold in a plant around you and feel itchy if that's something that you're sensitive to. Um, different fabrics. It's been, I've had to go through my closet so many times yes. depending on the, Ooh, the course yes. of my skin. I so recall um, that Emma as a young child where I, I wore something which was synthetic fabric and I just my entire body erupted in articaria and then I just had to 
throw out all the synthetics and then of course when you're in a flare you don't really feel like anything touching your skin is so painful and so sensitive that you really need to do that i think your wardrobe audit of your clothes to see what's actually bothering you yes definitely and keeping just paying attention oh i wore this sweater and that really bothered me you can notice things that are inflaming your skin and obviously that might not be the best thing but while you're struggling through a flare helping yourself um yeah foods definitely foods can impact it i noticed when i whenever i would eat red meat i would get itchy um there is salicylates um which can like tomatoes avocados those there's a group of foods that tend to um, bother people with eczema those people are the people that tend to have issues with liver detox so um yeah sorry i'm getting into a different topic but uh oh the last thing i wanted to talk about which i found out recently which i thought was super interesting um fabrics and fabric dyes because i was buying all like good clothing good cotton or what felt good for my skin um but recently i found out that if something is like black or a darker color it takes more like dyes to dye the fabric and then to seal the color in there so actually sometimes the chemicals that people use to dye the fabrics and seal them can be toxic to people so even if you have eczema buying like lighter clothes mm -hmm. like white or things that, that makes so to be much dyed sense as much yeah yeah, that's a great yeah. point because and, I think uh, that's so true. And of course, on that note, then we should also talk about the fact that maybe it would be best to explore forms of clothing which are more uh, natural dyes and more organic fabrics, things which don't really have the chemical load which might be an impact on the liver itself. Yes, definitely. And I, I know it's not easier, maybe it was the, cheapest option you know it is it's hard it's really hard to find good clothes and I I'm in a bunch of groups on Facebook for organic dyed clothes and I try to support people um but just really trying to find things that feel good for you that are organic it it does make a difference if that is something that bothers you so I think it's important to see okay am I noticing that when I wear certain things certain colors certain fabrics I'm having flares or whatever um more issues with the skin then maybe that's something to look towards. But before that, I always look at the laundry detergent. <laughs> that is number one for me. Every time something feels a little off in my body, I go look at the laundry detergent and usually it's a really great place to start. And it's, it's hard because in all laundry detergents, there, there is some sort of chemicals, but scents really tend to bother me. And I've noticed that a lot of people I work with, when they just switch to an unscented, even if it might not be like a plant-based or, or more um, biological, that even just taking away the scent can help with the itching. Um, but it's also interesting because on the flip side of it, some people say they put like lavender essential oil on their skin and it helps. But for me, I've always found the least scented, the better. Um, and I know it, that there are some herbs that can be anti-inflammatory, but it's, yeah. it's hard. That's a good point you made, Emma, because sometimes there's this categoric belief that essential oils are absolutely safe for everything. And that's kind of the, also the promo message that comes out of a lot of people who are advocates for essential oils. So I do know that I was also as sensitive as you described to anything that had some sort of a scent on it. So I would agree with you that if it's probably your skin is in that state where it's so, so sensitive that it might be good to just try and take out all of those, anything to do with scents, because I think the sense of smell uh, is one of the strongest impact on our liver. And if you're having these skin challenges, our liver's already compromised in function. So great points that you made, but maybe now we could just take a U-turn and start to look at what can we actually do for ourselves? Where do we begin? Because let's say that someone is struggling and we want to be able to help them not only in their skin overall, where we're 
supporting them in a way where they're just recovering, really helping to rebuild confidence, but also, of course, the sleep and the skin intersection. So if we could talk about that, it would be great. Yeah, um, I will start with one way to that I found is the best for setting yourself up for sleep. So a lot of people that I find, I see with myself and some people I've worked with that when you go to bed and you haven't properly digested, you tend to have a much worse night of sleep with your skin. Um, so I would say supporting digestion in general, obviously, um, because it does cause flares. If you don't digest well, you notice that you can get itchy or sort of start breaking out. Um, but especially before bed. So giving yourself at least two, if not more, three, four hours, a little bit of time to digest before you're going to bed and making sure that when you're eating dinner, you're, you're being present for that meal. You don't want to eat. I wouldn't say, I mean, I'm European, so I like to have a lighter dinner and a heavier lunch not saying change your whole life, but you don't want to sort of overstuff yourself at dinner. You want to eat it consciously, maybe not in front of a TV. If you can sort of like enjoy the space you're in, take some breaths, try to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. Um, obviously there are things that can help to support digestion, but I would just say like trying to relax, take some breaths, really enjoy the meal, smell it, appreciate it, and then give yourself enough time to wind down before you go to bed. Um, some of the worst nights I've had with my skin sleeping are when I eat something right before I go to bed, especially something sugary sugar definitely is you eat it. You're there's inflammation. <laughs> it's happening. Um, so I would say, can we talk about me. that Emma? Because can we talk about, I don't think people truly understand the dangers of sugar. So could we just talk about what actually is going on? I mean, I'm thinking in terms of the immune system, of course, it's suppressing the whole immune system. It depresses white blood cells. So naturally ability to fight anything is compromised. And of course, it's also upsetting blood sugar balance, which is then critical to sleep. But what are your thoughts on why, why not sugar? So I guess for me personally, I do feel like it, it also feeds the, the um, candida or the bad bacteria in your body. So along with all the other issues that you stated, I really feel like I, for me personally, I know that one of my issues, one of my root causes was candida. So I think that the candida feeding on the sugar was definitely causing inflammation for me. Um, but I also think that, I mean, I'm not a super expert on this, so maybe I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but our cortisol, right? Throughout the day, it's supposed to go down, down, down. And then as we're sleeping, it's supposed to build up. And every time I eat sugar before bed, I notice I have a cortisol spike. I'm waking up in the middle of the night around maybe like one or two or three around that time when your liver is supposed to be detoxing and I'm itching. I'm itching. I can't go back to bed. My heart's racing a little bit. I'm like struggling to even figure out if I'm half awake or if I'm awake and then I look over and I, you know, ripped half of my skin apart. So that is just something over many years that I have sort of found with my body with testing my blood sugar um, to see. I've never actually had my hormones tested in the middle of the night to see how that is. But from the time that it's happening and from when I've tested my blood sugar and just saying, okay, I ate sugar on this night before bed. I, I love chocolate. I love chocolate so much. I wish I could eat chocolate before bed, but it's just not good for me because every time it happens, I go to sleep normally. I try to go to sleep before 10 p.m. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then one, two, three, around that time when your liver's trying to detox, I wake up and it's like I'm, I'm racing. My heart's racing. Anxiety, anxious. Exactly. Yep. And I just, and, and it's, it's always sort of that response, which to me feels like a cortisol spike. And it also feels like it's very linked to the sugar because I have much deeper of a sleep when I sort of eat vegetables and maybe a little bit of 
just fat and a little bit of protein before bed. Nothing, nothing crazy. Small meal cooked usually um, is better. And I also noticed that hot meals are better for eczema. I don't know if you've ever had any experience with maybe hot or cold meals feeling better for you. I actually I crave like cool. I actually crave cool meals all the time, Emma. So in fact, at home, I'm the only one craving cool meals. And my husband and my son love warm meals. And I know if you look at Ayurveda, there's a lot to do with the body type and what you generally seek out. But on a general basis, what I've heard is that try to keep the summers more cool and the winters more warm to just like you know whenever the adrenals get a bit stressed in winter and the cold then stay with warm foods and yes definitely and I I think we all just need to listen to our bodies um and I definitely notice from the seasons I change uh let's get back to Ayurveda maybe for a second uh I'm also, I notice and have noticed over the years, and I don't know if you've noticed, but 10 p.m., it's at fire time. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I had a conversation with Reema Shah on Ayurveda in one of the episodes, and she really broke down the different times. When is Kapha? When is Pitta? When is Vata? And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. If you're in that fire time and you are not asleep at that time, then you've kind of stoked the fire and it's going strong. And then everything related to that fire energy is, it's all about active, energetic, and that's so the opposite of sleep. Yes, exactly. And it it's also just goes hand in hand with being itchy or being inflamed. So I really... As soon as I hit past that 10 p.m. time, up, ready to go, moving around. And then maybe 11 p.m. hits and my liver starts to try to detox a little bit. My body's like, why aren't you sleeping? And the itchiness sets in every single time. So it's hard because if you're really, if you have really bad dysbiosis, if your liver is being sluggish, then you still might wake up anywhere between one to four in the middle of the night if you go to bed at 10. But it's better to try to go to sleep as early as you can to sort of try to be asleep during that time and give your body the most healing opportunity. Um, I know it's not always easy because once that fire hits, you're ready to go. And, and Emma, I'm sort of, I get another creative rush, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I must ask you this, Emma, because I think it would help a lot of our listeners. Is one of the things I heard from a client which really bothered me to an extent, but I wanted to think into why she said that. So she said, I would rather take antihistamines my whole life and live with this condition than alter my lifestyle, than go to sleep early, than give up certain food. So what are your thoughts on something like that? Because I don't really like to put that down as just somebody who doesn't have willpower or is there something deeper going on? And I'm sure there's a lot of people with this kind of a thought process. So where might they begin? Where might be sensitive? Where might we be sensitive enough to give them the right advice that helps them to break this down into gentle steps? Yeah, I, I love that you bring that up because that's kind of how our society is right now. People want the quick picks. People want the meal already prepared. People don't have time. They have careers, they have families or um, whatnot to go through. So it is really hard because people do need to be ready to make these changes. I would say if you want to completely clear your skin condition and um, not be worrying about it all. It's, it's a lot. It's really, you have to focus down. You have to not only work on what you're eating, how you're eating, how you're managing your stress, how you're managing your time. Uh, but I would say to these people that one thing at a time, just one small thing at a time. I like to talk to people and just see, okay, what feels good for you in your life right now? What do you need most in your life right now? What's bothering you the most? And if you're not really getting down to something that 
is hitting the person in their in their heart space in their center then they're not going to make that change for it it needs to really be something that impacts them so maybe they don't mind taking an antihistamine every night because they can sleep but a lot of the times I find that people with families, they don't want their kids to have to go through the same things that they go through. So that's can be a huge motivation to kind of say, mm. okay, you don't want your kids to go through this. You've suffered for years, but so maybe if you try to figure out for yourself, then you will be able to show your kids how to do it as well. Um, and I think that's a big one for a lot of people and just small, small changes. It doesn't need to, you don't need to change your whole diet. You don't need to change your whole sleep. Just maybe go to bed, try an hour earlier or try to lay in bed an hour earlier or try to eat and wait four hours before, you know, pick one little tiny change. And I think as people see these tiny changes building up, um, to create a life that they truly feel good in. And once they see the change, that's the moment when people are like, wow, this, this works. You know, you, I'm sure you've seen that moment so many times with people when they're like, yeah. no, I, I actually feel amazing. <laughs> yes. And, and I think fun. I should add there, Emma, that sometimes that anxiety comes also because they have got so used to being on certain medication for so long that there is a sense of anxiety that comes from giving it up because they have fear what's going to happen to me if I do give that up. And what you advised was just, you know, starting somewhere, one small step, maybe you don't give up your medication on day one, but at least go towards it, keep that as something which is somewhere in the future and then go step by step towards it. But you spoke a lot about giving up foods that are inflammatory. Uh, maybe you could walk us through a little bit about that. Is that unique to each person? Is there a general paradigm that you have clients begin with? Is there a systematic approach where you go through what is necessary based upon the lab work? How's your approach? So for me, uh, I struggled with food my whole life. I'm a celiac, so that was sort of a big diagnosis, but then still not feeling right and going on extremely, extremely limited diets and then trying more things, flaring, trying more things. So I, I actually developed an eating disorder from this whole thing. So food to me is a very sensitive topic and I really struggle to tell people, oh, just eliminate all these things, you know, just take it all, see how you feel. So there's definitely things that I believe are inflammatory um, altogether. And I think we all know gluten, dairy, and sugar, I would say processed foods in general. So usually when I'm working with people, I try to encourage them first to eat more whole foods. Uh, if you're not able to cook at home, there's so many delivery services that can bring you fresh vegetables or sort of like meal kits even. Um, or even if people only go out, I tell them how to eat out at their favorite places with a less inflammatory diet. I wouldn't, there's always, people have emotions towards foods. I'm sure you've seen that as well. People love their biscuit in the morning and they they love their coffee with milk in yeah. it and they just they couldn't even imagine their life without it so a lot of those things being ripped from someone's routine it's it's hard so if people are really struggling i do say okay let's try to eliminate one thing i do like to start with one thing at a time because i do think telling someone a whole list unless they're absolutely ready is way too much to go with um, I am not a huge fan of food sensitivity testing. I did have it done myself eventually after going through so many things because I was restricting, uh, which found that eggs was a huge issue with me, for me, which was big because I don't think I ever would have eliminated eggs if not, and it's been great. So gluten, dairy, and sugar, processed foods, I think is a great place to start. I think that some other things I've seen a lot of people come in with are eggs, corn, soya, uh, nuts, even salicylate foods. So tomatoes, avocados, uh, peppers, uh, it really, 
it does depend on the person though. So I'm listing all these off, but I don't want anyone to go take all these things out of their diet. I think it's very important to just kind of gently try one thing, see how it feels for maybe a couple months. If you don't feel any better, try adding it back in and try one other thing um, just to kind of maybe experiment. I think that's a good place to start if you don't know. And obviously keeping a food journal, but I also don't like to tell everyone to keep a food journal of everything because I know to me that sort of felt um, like it was more of a toxic thing at times to be like, yes, I ate all this. I was sort of fighting with myself to write down maybe less than I wanted to, or maybe a more perfect thing. And it, it just wasn't a good thing mentally for me. So I'm more of a gentle experimentation person, uh, but it's, yeah, that gluten, dairy, and <laughs> processed foods and sugar. And I know that sometimes that much just gluten, dairy, sugar itself can seem quite restrictive to many people because that sometimes that's all they're eating. They're eating gluten, dairy, and sugar. And then like in that itself can feel very restrictive. But I would love for you to take us through how to actually help yourself sleep better when you're struggling with skin inflammation what are some of the things that we can do in the evening um, the kind of food that we can have for dinner what are this what can we actually do to begin helping ourselves maybe to the first night we're not going to end up sleeping for eight to nine hours maybe we're just going to increase that from waking up every three hours to sleeping for four to five but what can we actually do? The first thing I will say is meditation. So your podcast is great for this. So I, I think it. it's really great <laughs> to sort of calm the nervous I system think. before bed. I think that is a great practice for people. Um, and I, I have noticed with myself when I was, I told you recently, actually, I was going through a big flare, a lot of family yes. stress in my life. Yes. And we started connecting and I was like, I've been doing your meditations before bed and I, I was waking up later and later and it was, it wasn't perfect, but it was such a huge step um, and a start. And I think that's a great place for people to start. So throwing on a quick 10 minute meditation before bed, you just have to be laying there. You don't have to do much um, for me. And I, I don't know, maybe you can speak to if this would have helped your skin condition as well, but I, I, um, my skin likes to be sort of hugged, like covered. <laughs> it doesn't like to be open to my sheets. Maybe some yes, people like me. Yeah, like yes, yes, make it yes. Better, no, no, I just, I need hugged. something. Yeah, I need the room to be cooler. I need something to hold me close. I just don't feel safe if that's not there. Yes, okay, cool. Same. Um, so I have this shirt. Uh, I got it off of the eczema company. It actually has these little mitts in it. So I, I can't scratch myself. Um, it's actually, it's been life changing for me. It's just a shirt you put on and it, it has mitts. So you don't, you can't actually scratch yourself. Sometimes when I'm having a really bad night, I rip it off and I don't even realize, but you, most of the time, just like something on my skin kind of hugging me and like comforting is like enough to for my skin to be okay. Uh, I also think it's really great if you are taking supplements to support your liver or your gut or magnesium to support your whole body, nervous system, that you take them before bed. That's what I found has been best for me. It's kind of my nighttime routine, drink some tea, take my supplements, wind down, do a meditation and then get into bed. Uh, another thing you mentioned, sleeping cold. I, I hate sleeping cold personally. I don't like it at all, but it's so much better for my skin. Yes. <laughs> so I force myself to sleep in the cold because it makes a huge difference. Um, elevated temperatures while you're sleeping can definitely lead to inflammation. Your body's already at an elevated temperature because your liver is trying to detox your nervous system and your immune system are working to just like recreate <laughs> your energy in your body so to have that high temperature on top of it I think is just maybe too much and just causes inflammation um, so sleeping at a cooler temperature if you take a shower 
before bed at night, taking a cool shower or at least cooling it down at the end of it yes. so your skin's not really I red. think so. And I must um, say here that, you know, most of the recommendations you'll find from anyone in the sleep space, so usually people who are practicing sleep medicine, the recommendation is always to have a hot shower because it helps you to sleep. And I have always felt the opposite that you really need the cool water to help you um, shift something within the body which is conducive to better sleep. Yes, interesting. And I, I, I sort of understand the sentiment of the hot shower <laughs> because it's, it's comforting. It's nice to be warm. But I think everyone with a skin condition, when they got out of a warm shower, they're just completely red yes. <laughs> and inflamed. Yeah. And even so, if it's not immediately, uh, I think they do notice the effects uh, along the day where there's just more aggravation of symptoms. And yes, definitely. Um, something else that I discovered recently, it's, I, I'm, uh, I'm not promoting it, but it's been great. And I've been keeping it by my bedside table. They're like safe scratchers. This company makes like safe scratchers. So there's, it's like a little star and it has these stubbles on it. And I, I've been keeping it next to my bed. So if I do wake up sort of, and just like automatically go to scratch, I grab that. And at least I'm not like ripping at my skin with my own nails. Um, so that's been really helpful to me as well. And also making sure my nails are cut and filed, unfortunately, is not fun. I feel like I'm constantly cutting my nails, but a lot of girls actually, I don't wear fake nails. It's not who I am, but they found that they irritate their skin less or they scratch their skin less or they touch themselves less. Even if you have acne, I know it can be a lot of like, oh, I wanna like touch it or bug it, but sometimes like just getting like gel nails or something to cover their nails makes it so they're not as, uh, likely to touch their skin, I guess. Um, mm. Just a couple of things that people have really told me has helped them. So just wanted to throw that out there in case it could help anyone. Yes, absolutely. Emma. And of course, I want to ask you what's on Emma's plate from breakfast to dinner? What is on my plate? That is a good question. Um, definitely depends on the day. But in the morning, I'm a big... Uh, oatmeal person but I don't really put much oats in it it's more of just um, <laughs> pumpkin seeds chia seeds hemp seeds flax seeds a little bit of oats a little bit of water a ton of cinnamon and fresh fruit um, a little bit of nut butter there was years when I didn't eat peanut butter years years because I thought it made my skin itchy after one night of bad sleep um, so always add that. I try to have a blood sugar balancing breakfast, as you know, good amount of protein, carbs, and fats. Um, for lunch, I like to, it depends on where I am and what's available, honestly. When I'm in Italy, I love to get fish because of fish here, I'm just like right by the sea. So it's really good quality. Um, and with a little bit of vegetables, maybe it's a starch. Um, I, I don't, eat a ton of meat because it does make me flare, but I, I know it's good for some people. But for me personally, I found sticking to just more vegetables is, is better for me. Um, and then for dinner, soup. Soup, I love curry. Uh, I'm just anything like warm, comforting, spicy. I try to put turmeric in as much as possible. That is actually another thing that um, I don't know if you've noticed a difference, but the more turmeric I put into my diet, the less inflamed my skin is a hundred percent. I've gone through times when I haven't had any turmeric and I just have experimented. I, like I said, done a lot of dietary experimentation, but there's been times when I've made sure there's turmeric in my oatmeal, in my lunch and in my dinner. And I go to bed and I have a much better, less inflamed sleep. And I, I know turmeric is really anti-inflammatory. I know it can 
also be dangerous for some people who are taking medication because it can be a blood thinner. So I don't want to say that everyone should just go and throw turmeric and everything. No, but uh, am but I me, coming, was, coming yeah. from India because turmeric is such a big part of our cuisine? Um, I don't think uh, turmeric from your food is really that much of a contraindication, even if you're on blood thinning medication. I think it's more when you get a high dose, um, you know, you're trying to take a curcumin pill, which is in a higher dose. But personally, I don't know if the food source of turmeric is a problem. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure about that. So I just wanted to put that out there in case <laughs> um, that was something anyone was taking into consideration. But yeah, just completely consuming myself with turmeric is has been really essential as well. And like, just calming my inflammation overall. So um, I really, I, I would love to come to India someday. The cuisine is yes, <laughs> ideal, yes. I think, for anti-inflammatory. <laughs> when you're here in India and you're staying with me, we'll do a live episode from my farm here. Gosh, <laughs> would love that. Uh, any final words, Emma, because I know we are really close to concluding this episode. Anything that you feel you missed sharing in terms of how skin and sleep intersect? Uh, I feel like we covered it all. I just want to say I'm super grateful that we had this conversation. It was lovely to hear that you've experienced this too. And I just think the more we talk about it and put it out there for people, the more people are going to be comfortable to talk about it themselves and ask for help and not be stuck in this whole corticosteroid antibiotic not knowing what to do feeling lost so I, I love this thank you so much and Emma, Emma I can't let you go without concluding our show mantra so if sleep is the new medicine then how would you complete it um I am just going to say if sleep is the new medicine I, wow, I'm really stunting on this. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sweating. Um, if sleep is a new medicine, I will continue to do my meditations every night and continue to set myself up for an incredible sleep because I think it's very important. And I feel like that's not the best answer, but... <laughs> I love it. Sorry. No, I love it, Emma. I think it's from your heart and we should just leave it as it is. Where can people find you, okay. Emma? I know you do a lot of reels. You've got these fun reels on your Instagram. So where would you, where would you like people to be directed? So, um, yeah, I do most things on Instagram. My Instagram is EST underscore wellness. And I, you can sign up there for one-on-one -on -one consultations with me. I um, am also a yoga teacher and um, breathwork facilitator. So I love to integrate that into my nutritional coaching, but yeah, my, my website is coming soon. It's been a slow process because I sort of um, am a perfectionist as many of us are. So. I think a lot of us who have issues with our skin are over perfectionist. And I think that's part of the problem. And that's part of the problem why I thought about that answer to the question, thought about a million responses. I got a whole flush of heat and then couldn't Oh, answer. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's me. And that's why I was like, just be yourself. And we always have these perfectionist I moments. I know. And I so. think we do tend to get people who are prone to skin challenges I think we do get very anxious because we want to get everything absolutely perfect and you know Emma just an hour before our conversation um, I was getting advice by my husband how I'm over perfectionist and he was telling me that's your problem because you just don't know how to go with the flow <laughs> and you just want everything to be perfect the moment you decide it should be perfect and life is not that way and I do know that that is part of the whole fire personality this wonder woman and the excess fire where we're always trying to get everything absolutely right but I think it has 
has helped me over the years to try to move a little bit away from that. So just shutting off my phone and my work by 5 p.m. and kind of switching off my mind after that, that nothing's going to bother me post that. That's been a huge game changer for my skin and for my sleep. Um, but thank you for your time. We had a great conversation. I'm so grateful that you came here today to chat with me. Um, but um, stay in touch, Emma, and keep changing the world of skin challenges out there. Yes, thank you so much. You too. It's been lovely. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified professional please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional it is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding if you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. Be sure to subscribe to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches.